The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast Edinburgh Festival Fringe Series 2022. I hope you're all doing well, looking after yourselves, staying hydrated, using that sunscreen. Just, you know, remember that you are wonderful and you need to look after yourself. Today, Louise and I chat um, with Anya Upstill, a clown from New York, and we talk about their new show, uh, Transhumans. Um, Anya is brilliant, fascinating, taking things and looking at it through movement rather than always through text, um, which is an interesting conversation that we have as Anya was previously to being a clown director. Um, another brilliant episode with another amazing human being. We are so lucky to be getting to speak to all of these wonderful people and I hope that you're enjoying every episode. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can follow Louise and I on the socials as well. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. If you can, Remember to like, subscribe, download, review the episodes. It really makes a huge difference and gets our amazing guests heard by as many people as possible. For today's episode, ooh, something sparkly, I think. Maybe a sparkling water of various flavours. Um, hey, if you can, get yourself some champagne, Prosecco. Or, you know, you can just put some diluting juice I don't even know. Does everybody else in the world call it diluting juice? That's a very Scottish thing. Anyway, what what, what do um, squash? <laughs> I think it might be called in other places. Diluting juice and put some lemonade or some soda water in that, and you know, live your best life. Um, or you can have a coffee or a hot chocolate. Or you know, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Today we are joined by Anya Upstill. And Anya, you're a clown. I am a clown. Yep. I went to what my sister refers to as clown college. Even though it was actually physical theatre school, I feel like the clown is really what (laughs) defines it. That's the thing that everybody's like, yes. I love that. You are actually our first clown who we've ever had on the podcast. Well, I'm honoured. I'm honoured. Funnily enough, I don't speak in my show, so this is actually like kind of ironic, but it's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are really excited to have you. Um, And let's talk about your show, uh, Transhumans. Yeah, so, yeah, it's... um, I guess the sort of byline is a clown's journey through gender. And it's 
very loosely autobiographical. Um, I identify as trans and non-binary, but it's really just kind of looking at some of those um, restrictions and and pressures that the gendered binary put on people, um, but through the lens of clown and with kind of a magical realism bent as well. It's not, um, the framing of it is that as kind of a journey. So yeah, it's, um, that's what it is. It's, it's clowning and it's nonverbal clowning and, um, uh, gender. <laughs> <laughs> nonverbal clowning and gender. I mean, brilliant. So, I mean, when did you start? Because I know that this show was 2020 at the Adelaide Festival. So when did you start to create this show, put it together? And obviously we've had two years without the Edinburgh Fringe, so I'm sure there was probably plans, but yeah. Yeah, so I started, I, I started making the material for the show when I moved to New York in 2018. Um, basically unintentionally, I just sort of started doing cabaret work because it's one of the easiest things to kind of get into when you're in a new city, you know, it's just short form and I'd just come out of school. So I was used to making, like making a lot. And, um, I realized uh, a couple months in that all of the clown work I was making was about gender. So <laughs> it kind of, uh, it had a very strong focus and then I decided to try to make it into a show. So I did an incubator um, in 2019, an incubator program that was about kind of making work and showing it to people. And then, um, yeah, I got a director, dramaturg and a, a designer and took it to Adelaide Fringe and New Zealand Fringe in the, at the start of 2020. And I was gonna bring it to Edinburgh that year, but of course we all know what happened. Um, so here we are two years later. <laughs> well, I mean, it's great. So this is your, this your first full show then that you have created? It's, well, I used to, I used to mostly be a director. So I've made other work, but this was my first, definitely my first solo show and kind of, and definitely, and my first clown show, actually. <laughs> first circus show, first clown show. I did a lot of Shakespeare. I don't know. I guess there's clowns. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it was a real left turn, <laughs> but here we are. So what was that process then like for you as someone who's used to being a director and then you're now performing, but not only are you performing, you are creating it and it's also a solo show? Yeah, well, luckily... So I went to Del Arte, which is a physical theater school that's kind of based a lot on Lecoq. So it's the same kind of format of like every week you make work and you have to make work with an ensemble. And so that kind of broke me in terms of, um, it broke me out of the habit of being a director because you have to be ensemble based. So luckily I'd already been um, uh, brought around to the idea that I was not the smartest or most knowledgeable person in the room and then my ideas were not the best. Um, but it was still a challenge to be directed on work that I was creating and kind of hand over, I guess, the directorial position explicitly to someone else because I was so used to, yeah, kind of being like, this is the thing and I make the thing. Um, but it was also really great because I think since then, I mean, I've always been relatively collaborative, but since then I'm really like, gosh, do I never want to work alone? You know, like I do think that the more brains in the room, 
the better. And um, yeah, it was really, it was really good, but it was definitely hard. And I feel like it definitely got into that space of like, yes, the director is also the cheerleader because <laughs> I feel like I'd just be like, has anything even good? And then my director Molly would be like, yes, and let's nudge it slightly. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting thing, isn't it? That idea that we hold in this industry that the director is the kind of main thing and like, you know, we all have to mm. kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's so, it's so early, I'm not fully awake. Um, that we all kind of like look up to and expect them to lead the room. But actually when we create a really ensemble room and a collaborative room mm. there's so much more creativity I think in that um, and I think the kind of hierarchy of mm. a, a director obviously is needed because they have that overarching view um, whereas you know most actors like to get into the minutiae and just like, can we just work in this tiny, tiny little bit that I want to talk mm -hmm. about? <laughs> so yeah, you, <laughs> you need the, you, you do need the director. Um, so how did you become a director then, first of all? Sort of by accident. I think it was because I was the biggest nerd. Um, and I really, like, I really love, like, early modern theatrical practice see look that's a lot of words in the morning um but i'd started doing shakespeare with that very specific like direct address and you know all the sort of like and shared lighting and all these things and because i felt so strongly about it um i'm sort of really wanted to make the shakespeare i wanted to see <laughs> and um at the time i was living in new zealand and um there just there just wasn't a lot of that so um I, I gathered some people together and because I was again the most sort of I guess persistent um I was kind of like we're doing it this way it's the best way and then um yeah so I so I was directing people but often also performing so it was a little bit more of an ensemble thing of like I would kind of you know often be in the shows as well because you know that's fun and it's a good fun way to do it and I guess I was kind of kind of Shakespearean kind of early modern in that kind of way of like we're like yeah he was probably in the plays who knows I mean, yeah, he probably was, he, you know, done in 10 days and all of that. So who knows, mm. quite easily could have been. Um, so you lived in New Zealand. I love it. And there's, what made you go to New Zealand? Uh, my parents. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I guess I finished high school in New Zealand because um, my dad worked on the digital side of Lord of the Rings. Um, and after uh, I went to university in the sorry. States. Yeah. No, I, sorry. <laughs> I love that you just threw that in there and then we're like, we're like, hold up. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I mean, one of many people. Uh he he did work on Gollum's eyeballs. That's my fun, my fun fact that the digital rendering of Gollum's eyeballs, that they actually reflect the things that are like in the world around Gollum. It's very, very specific. Um he also used to work at Pixar. That's another fun, a fun fact. But you know, it's also what is even computer science? Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I decided to move back to New Zealand of my own volition <laughs> after university. So I, I can I can own it a little bit. But um, yeah, no, I kind of half grew up there. So well, that makes mm. sense then. Yeah. Yeah. 
no effect on the accent absolutely no no and i know like there's no effect on your accent which is um yeah um so getting back to like the creation of like your show and obviously you've said it's semi-autobiographical but what do you think what it was it that made you want to create this show in particular at this time mm. yeah i suppose it's really well i i mean i do believe that um the restrictions of the gender binary hurt everyone and so i think it's and i wanted to make i think a show that was uh per, that allowed people to sort of experience that kind of less academically because i think clown you know it's a little bit more well i mean it's very physical um but it's also kind of a way of looking at some of these restrictions that isn't yeah i guess it's not like intellectual you know it's kind of like yeah these these things that we kind of take for granted don't have to be that way and they do potentially have kind of harmful repercussions um and it was also just that, you know, in 2018, I came out as non-binary and I actually, I started using they, them pronouns when I moved to New York, which was a much easier transition because it was a new place. And now I just know people who don't know that I you're, never knew me with other pronouns. But um, yeah, I guess it was. And I think, I think at that time, and I think increasingly young people are more gender diverse and more people in general identify outside of the sort of um, cis male and cis female kind of end of the spectrum and it was just felt like the right time and also it was literally all I was making work about <laughs> like I guess it was so present for me that I just like couldn't get out of it and so I was like this is just where I am <laughs> this is the work I'm making and here we are yeah yeah I, th I always think it's so um fascinating when our life start to infiltrate our art um mm. And no matter how we might want to try and stop it, it's like, nope, this is where the creative mind is going and you're just going to have to go with it no matter what happens. Um, <laughs> how was, so I'm really interested, um, if you don't mind chatting about it, um, you know, ch coming out as non-binary, how was that within your family? You know, you said that you got to do it when you moved to a different place. How was that for you? You know, it was really good. I would recommend to anyone who wants to transition if they can, like, I mean, I'm being facetious, but it was, it, it's easier, I think, to kind of make a shift because yeah, you don't, you're not in, you're not as much in the position of having to remind people or tell everyone or like, you know, that's a really big part of transitioning is just like the work of being like, hey, just in case you haven't heard, these are now my pronouns. Um, so it was it was really good. And I think also New York has such a vibrant queer community and a, quite a growing and vibrant um, trans community that there were actually like, you know, spaces and performance opportunities and things that actually were really supportive. Because um, it is it is harder with people that know you. Um, you know, it's um, it just it just takes more work. It takes, you know you have to yeah you have to tell people and that's fine but it's just like you know being in a position where you have to do less of that i think was a lot easier for me um yeah yeah and i mean you know my my beautiful parents who in fact are here in edinburgh because they're coming to support me and see me perform 
they are not perfect on my pronouns, but I've also just been like, you know, to be honest, they did spend about 30 years with a different set of pronouns and maybe I can extend to them some, you know, a generosity I think that's, uh, in their life. That's something, um, just for the listeners, Louise is here, but she's having a terrible day with sound. Um, it has gone quiet outside just for the moment, so I'll just chip in to confirm I am here. But there's construction going on right behind me, so it might get chaotic again. So see how we go. Do you want to ask anything, Lulu, while you're um, while you don't have any? Well, noise? Uh, no, I, I think the way the conversation was going there was really interesting because I think we've had a lot of conversations around um, these sorts of topics because we are uh, we aim to be very inclusive of uh, non-binary and our, our our non-binary and trans community, and um, the parent thing and having discussions around misgendering or struggling with pronouns and um, has been a very live discussion, not just amongst our community, but out in the world, obviously. And um, it's interesting that you point out that it was sort of cutting a slack a little bit just because there's a process that I suppose that parents go through. Um, but I guess there comes a point where it's like, you can process that internally and in your own time and, and find the way to support your, your child and your loved one. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I and it's not yeah, it's it's that I think it's that thing of being like really asking for like does anyone like being misgendered? No, no. <laughs> um is it great to do that work? It sure is. Um and I think in a way it's also as a as a as a trans and non-binary person, I'm like where do I want to put my energy? And it's also like I don't really want to put my energy uh towards and this is a personal thing i don't want to put my energy towards being upset about it or even really towards like doing a lot of correcting because to be honest i'd rather put my energy into like supporting trans people and making art and that's in that but that's a personal thing right like i think we all have different relationships to it and um i teach i teach gender diversity trainings and one of our biggest things is like one you don't have to understand it to respect it like i think people get caught up in this thing of like oh, but why, but how? And it's like, literally, someone has just told you how they want to be treated, just treat them that way. Um, and then also just like, you know, like, it's actually really nice when other people do the correcting, you know, because it tends to be easier. I do it for other people and I feel like it, it's nice when people do it for me because it's just less emotional labor, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that's something that... Um, Am I trying to be fair or am I just going to call people for being not good enough? Um, that... It's very early and we've had a long French so far, so feel free to be, you know, speak your truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had a long French so far and it's only like week one. <laughs> so exhausting. Oh, God. Yeah, we are. Oh, God. So exhausting. Um, God, two years of not doing it and you're like totally out of the swing of it it's yeah um yeah god now I can't even remember what I was going to say <laughs> I'll come back wait 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 oh yeah 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 um you know I think I think that thing about people I do believe that some people genuinely don't mean it in those moments and they are trying mm. to learn and I think that the um I know myself, like in years gone by, I have 
um, accidentally misgendered someone and I have felt horrific about it and then I have like done absolutely everything that I can to never ever do that again and the person that um, I did misgender was so kind to me about it because I was like almost like I am so sorry fuck fuck um and they just were like I know that it doesn't come from a place of um malice or de uh, deliberately misgendering um by you so it's a totally different thing of when it is deliberately misgendering but as you say mm. uh, Anya it's that idea of why can't you just accept something to make someone else's life happier? I saw this amazing meme the other day that was something like, like, um, you know, like, where will it end if people get to choose their own genders? Oh, in a world where everyone's just a bit happier and I'm not affected at all? Like, it was just that thing of just being like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yes, that is, where, that is where it ends. It's like, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, um... It's interesting. And and I do think, you know, as the person said to you, it's like, there is a difference between people who just don't know or who are learning or, you know, and people who um, are doing it, doing it maliciously. And actually the, the trainings that me and my friend Rachel do, we started because we knew a bunch of teachers who generationally were a bit older than us and also were not in the queer community. And they were kind of like, we just don't know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you probably don't to be honest, like you don't have a lot of queer trans friends and like you want to do the best thing you can, but you don't want to offend people. And like, I have low trauma, so I'm happy to talk to you about this. Which is the other thing, right? It's like, pick your, well, don't assume that trans people want to talk about their journey or want to educate you because not everyone does. And nor yeah. should they have to. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's really great. And just, you know, you using that phrase of low trauma is, um, is really important and we've actually we were having this discussion recently weren't we Louise um you know you would never well some people might but certainly as a white person you would never ask a black person to educate you on race so why would you ask a trans person to educate you on trans issues it's like go and do the work yourself it's not mm. difficult we have this thing called google <laughs> yeah in the internet age i mean truly <laughs> i mean yeah. like you know well, um, plenty you know, of resources plenty. plenty of resources i'm sure there's probably hundreds of thousands of videos on it on tiktok so you know you can probably go and like educate yourself that way and even beyond that i mean i'm sorry guys your biggest resource is your freaking compassion for fuck's sakes sorry I swear but like that's all it takes. I apologise and swear on this podcast. I know, that's true. I don't know. I, again, I, this coffee hasn't quite hit me yet. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. But I, I do, could, sort of to go back to clowning, what I do think is interesting, one thing, or one thing I think is interesting, is I think that people do get hung up on language. And so actually doing... Or, or like showing things in a nonverbal way can be really, really powerful. Not just my show. I went and saw 71 Bodies, which only had, I think, three shows in the fringe. But it was this beautiful trans dancer. And his work, like, 
I actually ended up like trying to recreate it. I think while I was asleep, like it was so powerful that my body was trying to do the movements like when I was asleep that night. But like, it's just such a powerful way of experiencing or getting an insight into difference, I think. Because yeah, we do get, we get hung up on ideas and words, I think, all the time. Yeah, um, you're so right. And I think that's um, just something so simple that you've just said that I hadn't really thought about, you know, just that whole non-verbal thing. And I think that comes from probably, you know, being an actor as much as I love doing stuff where I don't speak um, and use movement our brains are so wired to language I think a lot of the time so it's that like we lose that kind of intimacy sometimes of just like what movement can do for us and what physicality can do for us which is really lovely um tell everybody where the show is I've just realized we haven't even said where the show is (laughs) yeah so it's at the counting house in the lounge um it's part of the free fringe um, it's on until the 16th, so it's only half the French, which is really, you know, not 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 as long as it could be, but good for a first time, I think. I feel like this is a, this is a smart investment on my part. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think I'm the only, I could be wrong, but I think, I feel like everyone else who's on there in the lounge is probably a comedian. And it's like, it's, it's, I actually like small spaces, but it's very funny to be kind of like going from like a black box idea to kind of like, oh, this is a black room. In fact, this is a small stage in a black room. <laughs> and playing with that space is really fun. I think that's a very wise move doing half the fringe for your first fringe. It's very, as you said, it's very tiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're doing the free fringe as well, which is, which is great. And how is it going? You know, it's going well. I think, um, I mean, I don't really know what <laughs> going well is uh, in this this new context. But um, no, I mean, we're getting sort of bigger audiences as it goes along. And um, people have been quite generous in terms of the free fringe. And yeah, it's been really lovely. Beautiful audiences, quite a range. We've had some families. And then we've also had, you know, trans youth which I love um and like it's just it's just very it's very interesting I think um yeah different audiences experience it in different ways I reckon so it's it's really good I will say I think our smallest audience as borne out by the pronoun pins um that um that we offer to the audience is is probably cis men and you know wouldn't say I'm necessarily surprised um I I mean Gosh, I mean, yeah, I think I think we don't talk enough about how cis men are harmed by the gender binary. <laughs> and I, so I think, you know, for them, it's giving up a p- privilege. Right. And that's harder than being yeah. like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I think it's the gender binary um, patriarchal systems. It doesn't do anybody any good, um, although. Mm. Th- because it's so ingrained I think the fear of what's coming if they let go a little bit when actually Mm. it's far it's gonna be far better I think yeah I think yes right what a what a beautiful time if we could all just not have to do anything we didn't want to do yeah or act in ways 
Um, mm. I'd love to know if you have, if you've had any feedback from um, the trans youths, because that's brilliant. I just, it's so important for them to have representation. You know, we talk about this all the time, right? Representation matters. Mm. And it does. And I'd just love to, if you've had any feedback. And I also love that families are coming. How important and vital that is. Yeah, I mean, we had we had some really, really sweet um, trans youth come to the show yesterday. And I think, like, it wasn't even so much feedback as it was, like, they just didn't want to leave the room, you know? And then people just kind of want to just kind of, like, stick around and are just kind of like, that was just... Uh, and then you, ah, you know, it was that kind of thing of just like, I'm just here and I just want to be here. And that I think is a really, is just the best kind of feedback. Um, and then, I don't know, I actually my favorite piece of feedback was, I think they were Italian. We had a couple who, who I think were, you know, just this lovely cishet couple. Um, and afterwards they came up to me and they were like, thank you so much, we're pregnant. And like, we're thinking about different ways of raising our child. And I was just like, well, there we go. That's <laughs> like, thank you for justifying my existence um, and the existence of this show. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, it was very sweet. That's, it's just so beautiful, right? And just like what is so needed and those, Oh, the power of art and the power of what we do. Mm. <laughs> Week one and I'm already getting emotional. I'm like feeling the tears coming like, oh God, it's so needed. It's so, <laughs> it's so beautiful, it. yeah. <laughs> um, just, yeah, all of it is just really important. And I like, you know, you're saying about um, the trans use being there and not wanting to leave is because it's a safe space for them. Mm. And they, yeah. they find a place that, and I just... Uh, it's just so vital and how you're putting this on using your clowning and your physical movement is just really lovely and I'm I'm really going to do my absolute best come and see you um, so we ask all of our guests um a question <laughs> um <clears throat> so little bit of background um we Louise I always say we, but it was really Louise that came up with the, the name for um, our whatever we are initiative podcast advocacy. Fuck knows anymore what it is that we actually are doing. Um, uh, persistent and nasty, both connected um, with political quotes. Nevertheless, she persisted. Um, and then the reclaiming of the word nasty after the previous president um, called Hillary Clinton nasty women and then there was the twitter and hashtag nasty women so um we are very much about reclaiming words um and giving them back the power like witch and bitch and moany things mm -hmm. that um are used against us as a negative so it's um more to be a positive so anya upstill what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you so I mean, persistent, I think it's just, you know, you just keep on living your best feminist intersectional life despite all the pressures to other to do otherwise. And I think that also means being, you know, being as persistent as you can in terms of being an ally and arguing for, you know, equity across the board, not just for yourself, you know, because I think it's very easy to 
to to I mean obviously we're individuals, but you know, really pushing that pushing that button. And I guess I think nasty is just not respecting the um or or not yeah, no, you know, not respecting <laughs> the um the pressures that come from the system, you know, and being, I guess, vocal and outspoken and um, not worrying about being polite or being seen as nice. I think people are assigned female at birth. We're really taught to be nice and be like polite. And I really fuck that um, when it's inappropriate. I mean, I mean, you know, maybe be nice to like people when they're nice to you, but obviously in the context of fighting back, don't be nice. We don't need to be nice. We can definitely, we can definitely be nasty and that's going to be, you know, also getting out of the restrictions of the gender binary <laughs> to bring it all back transness love it i'm also loving your fellow human in the room just giving you some snaps um every so often <laughs> yeah my partner behind me just <laughs> yeah <laughs> casually listening doing some snaps yeah yeah uh, absolutely loving it anya thank you so much for coming and joining us today and chatting and um what a great conversation the show sounds amazing. Hopefully as many people as possible can come and see your work. And um, just thank you. Oh, thank you. This was such a delightful conversation. And um, thank you for the work that you do having conversations about art. It's oh, important. Thank you. Thanks. We, you know, we try. Hopefully we're going to try and come to New York. I'm keeping putting that out there. So, that, yes. uh, yes. and, um, so if we do, we'll, we'll let you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, until next time, lovely listeners, I'm just going to say it on my own because it's an absolute riot <laughs> Zoom today. Stay nasty. <laughs>